0: Log Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors This week's special guest will join us a bit later, but first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel.
1: All right, good evening everybody, and once again welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Oteriico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to starting uh, things off here, <clears throat> excuse me, in just a moment with the uh, uh, Coach's Corner segment, and then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by tonight's special guest, uh, Dr. Bern Bernacki, the president of the Golf Heritage Society. He'll be joining me on the second half of the show. Uh, I'm back uh, for probably, I think, a fifth or sixth time now. He's been here a number of times, always enjoy our conversations, and uh, I think we'll have a good, robust one tonight. So um, thank you for tuning in live. And just remember, you can go uh, to the link uh, blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive, uh, and the show is live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on that network. But for some reason, if you can't join live or you come in midstream, as they say, uh, you can visit that link, blogtalkradio.com slash golf live and just scroll down to the on demand section at any point and you'll hear all or see all of the previously aired, uh, uh, podcasts in their entirety. Uh, the recorded versions are there and the most recent is always at the top. So after tonight's show, if you've missed part of it a little bit later on, uh, not to worry, you can go and visit that link. Uh, and at the end of the show, uh, when we do the, uh, uh, the out, uh, uh not intro, but outro, if you will, um, you'll be able to hear some of the other great places that you can listen to uh, the podcast as well. But as I mentioned, uh, I'm going to be joined here by the Coach's Corner panel, and I've got one of the panelists on right now, so I'm going to introduce him. I'll also introduce the other one. Uh, She's running a few minutes late. Hopefully she'll be joining us in a big midstream conversation, but uh, I'll keep an eye out for her. Uh, First up, of course, is John Decker. He's become a good friend as well. Uh, He's Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. He's also a senior editor and top 25 instructor with Golf Tips magazine. And uh, he was a former head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando and was the 2015 Southern Teacher of the Year and authored the book, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course includes an accompanying Bible study um, and uh, also is available for public speaking. So if you're interested in that at the end of the uh, Coach's Corner segment, we'll give you some uh, information, or John will rather, and how you can connect with him and, and maybe get him out speaking at your club or organization. Uh, also going to be joining me hopefully tonight on the panel is Sue Weger, and she is also number one uh, best-selling international author, motivational speaker, and peak performance coach. Uh, she's a 24-plus year LPGA Class A golf professional and owner of Weger Consulting. Uh, her book is Golf, The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, is available at Amazon.com. So. Um, right now I'm going to welcome John to the panel and we'll keep an eye out, as I said, for Sue, but, uh, John, welcome to Coach's Corner.
2: Thank you, Ted, for having me on the show.
1: Not a problem. Always a, always a pleasure. And, um, I know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about, as I said, a little bit later on, uh, you're working on your next book, uh, which is, uh, sort of a compliment, if you will, to, uh, your previous book. We'll get you talk a little bit about that, however much you want to give away, uh, Uh, as we uh, wrap things up in this segment. But let's talk about, we're going to get into the conversation. As I said, I'll keep an eye out for Sue. Uh, Hopefully, uh, she'll be able to to join us. And if not, uh, you and I will, as we've done before, uh, we'll hold down the fort. So the discussion we're going to talk about is some of the essential skills needed for golf. So golf is, much like other sports, is a motor skill, Uh, very much like karate, dancing, swimming, and even playing a musical instrument. It's a process that is learned and then relearned over time uh, and it's certainly not a problem that can be solved in just a few easy lessons. So uh, these particular keys that we're going to talk about tonight, John, um, are, I think, essential to uh, develop, de- developing some good uh, fundamentals and uh, uh, and working on, obviously, uh, becoming a better golfer all the way around. So one of the first ones is the pre-swing fundamentals, things like the grip, the aim, um, know posture that sort of thing so sort of the general fundamentals. so maybe just sort of break down each of them what sort of uh, i guess component what they um what their function is why they're important and why it's important to make sure that you get them right uh if you want to be successful not only swinging the golf club well but becoming a good player as well so let's talk about the basic fundamentals uh, or pre-swing fundamentals i mentioned the grip the posture stance that sort of thing why they're important uh each of them and um what you need to do to sort of keep them tuned up on a regular basis.
2: Well, Ted, this is a great question. And, you know, for the golfers that are just getting their season started, um, this is where you, when, you're, when you're going out and whether you're taking a lesson, whether you're going to the range just to, to hit some balls and kind of shake the rust off, um, this is where you want to start. You know, Nicholas was a very adamant about starting out every season, looking at his grip, his ball position, his posture, all those things uh, are very important, and and we all have tendencies that we t- kind of revert back to, so, you know, I know for myself, I'm still constantly working on my grip. Um, I made some uh, slight adjustments in my grip recently, and I've seen a big improvement in my ball striking, so I know that no matter what your level is, you're never go- you're never going to be good enough to where you don't have to work on your setup, and I've worked with Tour players uh, through the years uh, on both the LPGA and PGA Tour, and the majority of times when I work with them, I'm working with them on their setup. It's not their swing. Their setup gets off, and then when the setup gets off, then the swing gets off. So, you know, looking at the grip, uh, that's one of the first things that you want to look at because the grip is going to control the club face, and the club face is going to eventually control your swing. So if you have a bad grip, then you're going to have to make compensations in your golf swing, or golf swing to uh, counter that. Ball position to me is one of the most important things that I look at. I use alignment sticks uh, when I'm working with students, uh, and you can simply put alignment sticks down. You can put one as your target line, and then you want to make an intersection with that with another alignment stick. So you're kind of essentially forming a T, and then the ball wants to kind of go at that intersection. So you can leave a little bit of space there. Put the ball at that intersection, and that way when you're setting up to the ball, you can see where your left foot is if you're a right-handed player in relationship to that, uh, that alignment stick that's forming that right angle. So ball position is critical. Most people, when I work with them, play the ball too far back in their stance, which takes away from their ability to shift their weight, takes away their power, and, re- and really they, they tend to hang back and, and leave all their weight on their back foot Their trail foot, as a lot of instructors will call it, Um, and it's simply because of their ball's position. You know, you will eventually swing where the ball is. So if you have the ball in the wrong spot, you're going to develop a swing that's going to not be the right, right, proper swing for you. Um, And then, you know, distance from the ball is another important thing. Obviously, every club in our bag has a different length to it, so your distance from the ball is critical. Making sure that you have enough room when you set up to the ball so that you can turn and you're not going to hit the ball or hit the club, you know, uh, move into the club or move into the ball. So you need to have enough space. Now, some students have too much space. So that's something that you could work with your pro, teaching pro on. But make sure if you're going to take a lesson that you're hitting all these areas. Don't go into the lesson thinking, oh, we're just going to work on my, our swing. Go and focus on the setup first, and then your, your pro can direct you from there. And then the last thing with the setup that I really look at is going to be, and it relates to the knee flex, But it's where your weight distribution is. Most most students play the ball too far back in their, or excuse me, play with their weight too far back in their heels. We want to make sure that the weight is up in the balls of the feet. So those are the key areas that I look for whenever I'm working with a student in their setup.
1: Yeah, and a lot of great points. And and you're right. You know, Nicholas talked about in his uh, video uh, from several years back. uh, I think it was in the '80s, Golf My Way. He talked about how every season he would come out and work on uh, the fundamentals. Um, you know, he wasn't really focusing so much on the swing um, as he was his fundamentals because he knew that once the fundamentals were in its proper place, the swing would take care of itself. Um, you know, you don't often really forget how to swing the golf club, but a lot of times you might get the, the grip incorrectly or you might be uh, aiming incorrectly or what have you. So I, I want to just, a, a couple of follow-ups since we've got time. Um, one is with the ball position, uh, and again, you know, depending on who you talk to, there's different variations. Some like to play it a little bit closer to the middle of the stance for all clubs, and then maybe widen or you know, narrow or, or widen their stance depending on which club, and of course, appropriately standing the, the proper distance from the ball. Some like to play it a little closer to the left foot uh, or left heel, off that a little bit closer. What are your thoughts here? Is there a preference? Is there a proper ball position? that you feel that has been successful for you over the years? um, Or is there some room for some flexibility, depending on the type of player?
2: Well, as far as, uh, you know, the way I was taught is the ball is played inside of the left heel. And this goes, uh, there was a big transition in teaching that happened during the late 70s and early 80s. I mean, I grew up learning to play my driver off my left heel, my five iron, um, you know, more in the middle of my stance, and my nine iron more off the back of my stance. Uh, that was the way golf was taught, and there was a lot of l- knee drive, a lot of slide in the golf swing. You look at those old pictures of, you know, Johnny Miller and stuff of, in the in the yep. video of him, you know, talking about, you know, play the ball back in your stance. Well, when you have a lot of leg drive, you, you can do that, and you should do that. But But if you look at the modern players, they're not doing that. And the reason for that is if you look at those older golf swings, um, the, the guys were getting there. There was no champions, PGA Champions Tour, Senior Tour, anything along those lines. So the the guys were pretty much done in their mid-30s, mid to late-30s. Their careers were over. And most of the time it was because of injuries, like hmm. shoulder injuries, lower back injuries, because that puts a lot of wear and tear on your joints. Your hips are ball-and-socket joints. They're not designed to slide like that. So the modern player is playing the ball more forward toward the left heel, very much like Jack Nicklaus did, and they're using the rotation of their body to square up the club face. They're not using a lot of hands. They're not using a lot of uh, manipulation in the hands, and that's why the grip is so important. Uh, They're they're just naturally allowing the club to release, and and everything kind of lines up, and that's the way the modern golf swing is. So I play the ball more forward in my stance. I teach that right inside the left heel. Uh, Years ago, uh, Tiger Woods was up here at Muirfield Village, and he was doing a clinic uh, for – and I'm in Columbus, Ohio. So he was doing a clinic Mm -hmm. um, during the week of the the memorial, and and someone asked him about ball position and moving the ball back in the stance. And he says, I'll move the ball back in the stance if I want to shape a shot. So a tour player, if they Mm want to hook a ball around a tree or even cut a ball around a tree – you know, they'll move the ball back in the stance because that allows them to use a little bit more of their hands uh, to maneuver. And, you know, they're, and these guys are obviously highly trained players that know what they're doing. But he said, when I move the ball back in my stance, I only move it one ball. They don't move it six or eight inches back. They, he goes, I only move it one ball. And if you are right. going to have the ball more back in your stance, like if I've got a lot of wind and I'm hitting a a knockdown shot, and I'm trying to hit go under a tree or anything like that, and I do move the ball back in my stance. What I do to counter that is I open up my stance. That allows me to turn a little bit more through the ball, and I, and I will resist the temptation to slide. Because when you slide, that's when you drive the club into the ground. That's when you start hitting a lot of uh, poor shots, a lot of deep divots, things like that. So I still like to make a shallow divot. I don't want to make a deep divot. So – If I do move the ball back in my stance, like in a fairway bunker or going a low shot or going under a tree, I'll move it back one ball, open up my stance, and then I'll just go ahead and make my normal swing.
1: Right, and and I I agree with you as well. I think there have been a lot of change. I remember some of the old swings, as you mentioned, like Johnny Miller as an example, um, and had the classic reverse C uh, where, you know, their upper body looked like it was bending backwards quite a bit, which in a sense it was but it's because they were driving the hips and the legs so far into the ball and forward um, that it created that, that reverse seat posture. And even Nicholas, to a certain degree, not as much as Johnny Miller did, but Nicholas had it as well. Um, but again, it created a more manipulation with their hands in order to meet that uh, ball uh, more effectively. And, and I agree with you. I think the, the swing shape now is much different than what it was you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, so, obviously, uh, adjustments have had to be made in teaching the game as well. I want to touch on one other thing as we move to the next point. Um, you you kind of touched on this, was really club face control. And accuracy is a combination of aim and club face control. Um, but if your aim is correct, but the ball will not hit the target if your club face is pointing in the wrong direction of impact. So, again, that's could be affected by ball position and uh, other factors as well. So, this is another reason why... I think the fundamentals are extremely important. So maybe you just want to touch about club face because how do we make sure we have the correct club face? Because what I've seen, and and I know you're going to go there anyways, is people will think they're aiming the club face and then take their grip and it actually alters because they're not gripping it correctly. Uh, Talk a little bit about that because it's important to make sure that once you've gripped the club, that that club face is still pointing in the direction that you want the, the ball to go.
2: That's a great point, Ted. I mean, just to give you an idea, um, with the driver, uh, if your club face is off one degree at impact, it's eight yards out out in the fairway. Okay, so it's going to be off eight yards. So if you, you're aiming, let's say you're aiming right down the middle of the fairway and you're off one degree, whether it's open or closed, it's going to either be left or right of your target, eight, eight yards. Well, think about that. If you're off five mm-hmm. degrees, you know, in most businesses, if I told you, you know, you're only off five degrees, you're only off 5% or something like that, you would think, oh, I'm pretty good. Well, if I'm off five degrees at, with my driver, I'm 40 yards offline. I'm, the, I'm off the yep. golf course. I'm going to be out of bounds. So that it, it doesn't seem like it's much, but then when you look at where the ball ends up, it's a tremendous amount. So a lot of times when you make a really good swing or a really bad swing, there's not a tremendous amount of difference. It's only a little bit, but that little bit can add up to a lot. So you bring up a very valid point. You know, one of the things that you want to do when you're setting that club down is you want to make sure and aim it, you know, and have, a, have that club face square before you're taking your grip. A lot of students will right. take their grip and they'll manipulate the club face, and then they'll worry about right. their ball position and all those other things and I'm looking down at their, their club face, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is aiming way left or way right of the target. Um, so a lot of times I think most um, – and I remember, remember when I was first learning the game, like most golfers, I was a slicer when I first started. And most mm-hmm. slicers will manipulate – they'll start turning that club face because they think, okay, well, this is how I can straighten out my slice. And it'll work for a right. little, little while but then over time you start creating more and more bad habits and then the ball starts going way left. So uh, it's important that you get that club face aimed properly. A lot of times I'll have students, we put a two by four down on the ground and have them aim that club face or get the club face right up against the two by four. So the club face is nice and square. And then I have them pull it back to where the ball is and then hit the shot. Uh, That way they're guaranteed Mm -hmm. to get the club face aimed properly every time. And that's something that everyone can do in their home is practice their grip and practice getting the club face up against like a book, lay something down on the floor. Uh, you know, you can use the, sometimes you'll use the the tile grout line or something like that just to, to get an idea and say, okay, this is what a square club face is. Then take your grip. But that's a very important point.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, as you pointed out uh, as well, we see a lot of our amateur golfers gripping the club and then manipulating the face to, to meet their, um, you know, their situation and in order to get it square. And ultimately, what ends up happening is when they actually swing, because it's not square at impact, then all they're doing is they're swinging either a slightly closed or a slightly open club face and causing, helping to cause, certainly a slice or, or a hook or what have you. So it, it's extremely important, as you said. Um, and that's a, a, a great tip or a great uh, drill for people to do. It's very easy. You can do it at home. don't have to be at the range to do it. It's something you can practice at home. You don't even have to swing a club. Just practice making sure that club face is square uh, and then taking the grip afterwards. And that way you're going to be successful every single time. Um, here's another one, uh, point three here I want to talk about. And this is, again, um, many golfers uh, you, uh, don't strike but scoop the ball. Um, So they have to understand how to get the ball in the air uh, very early in their game. Uh, And and what I mean by that in their game is early when they first start playing the game. Uh, Most don't understand what impact should look like. They're trying to lift the ball up in the air instead of letting the club do the work. Why don't you touch on a little bit of that? Uh, So in other words, we want to strike, not scoop the ball.
2: That is correct. Um, We're hitting the ball with an iron with a descending blow. With the driver, we're hitting it on the upswing. But uh, the number one reason why I see uh, students scoop the ball is because they have too weak of a grip. It's either they have too weak of a left hand, they have too weak of a right hand. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes, both hands are, are too weak. And when you have a weak grip, uh, if, I, if I have someone with a weak grip and I had a magic wand and I could give them Tiger Woods golf swing or a tour player's golf swing and they were to swing with that weak grip, they would hit a shank. Because the tour player mm-hmm. is rotating their body. Uh, they are not um, stopping their body and using their hands to square the club face up. They're using their body to square the club face up because their grip is, you know, most of the guys on tour have really good grips. Some are a little weaker, like a John Rahm. Some are a little stronger. But they're, the, by and large, they're all really good grips. So they can rotate their body, and the club will line up and be pointing at their target. If you have a poor grip, you can't do that. So you swing the club back. Now your club face is going to be open. Most students who have weak grips are going to have an open club face unless they do something to manipulate it. And so now if they were to rotate through, their club face is going to be even more open on the downswing. Because remember, when we're swinging the club, that club face is going to be moving. The centrifugal force is going to want to open that club face up. So uh, the tour players have stronger grip, so they they can, as they rotate, they're not getting all that manipulation with a club face, and they can use their body to square it up. So it's very important to get the hands on there the proper way uh, so that you can do this. Now, the scooping motion, once you get the student with the proper grip, then we've got to teach them to move their divot forward, because they're used to hitting four or five inches behind the golf ball of that scooping motion. So a lot of times I'll put students who scoop the ball. I'll put them on a downhill lie to kind of get their weight to shift down the hill, or I'll give them an impact drill. Or um, I've got tons of drills on my website. Um, in fact, I'm getting ready to do an article for Golf Tips Magazine uh, on this very thing about compressing the ball and making the divot. I don't. I won't give that away because I want the readers to to read about it. But it's um, it's something um, it's something that you can definitely. Um, learn how to do by making that weight shift, you can um, learn to make that divot in front of the ball but to make a divot in front of the ball it all starts with the grip
1: and again, a lot, of, a lot of players out there a lot of our amateur golfers really fall short in this area and again everything starts with the grip, I mean that's what's holding on to the club and you know, once you have any of these fundamentals, but particularly the grip uh, not in its proper place a myriad of myriad of things can happen. Um, another thing too, I want to move on to on the fourth, uh, um, essential skill is, uh, is the understanding of the swing plane as well. Keeping the club in the same plane throughout the swing is definitely going to help, uh, straighten out your golf shots. Um, this is another thing too, is people don't really understand this. Uh, they hear playing, they don't really think about it. They don't really understand that. Talk a little bit about that as well.
2: Well, I, 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 I will tell you that I don't teach a swing plane. I teach a swing path. That was the way I was taught at Grand Cypress. Uh, the only plane that I look at in golf is the target line because a plane is a straight line. Okay, that the, the golf swing is not a straight line. So you can look at it on video and people can say, oh, I'm going to draw a line here and see how, you know, the old adage of, of Ben Hogan and, and all those guys, you know, they would have has the vision of a plane. But there is a lot of planes in the golf swing. There's a takeaway plane, the club going up, the top of the swing, the downswing. That club is not swinging on an exact plane. And you have to remember that what you're seeing on a two-dimensional television screen or a monitor or however you're looking at your video is not the perspective that you're going to have when you look down at that golf ball. When you're looking down at that golf ball, you're not swinging on a straight line. You're swinging around your body. So that's why I try to get students not to think about a swing plane, but to think about a swing path. And the swing path changes with every single club. A driver's swing path is totally different than a putter swing path. The putter swing path mm-hmm. barely, barely goes to the inside, back to the ball, and, and back to the inside. So it's a very small arc. The driver is a very large arc. The longer and the larger the arc The more power you create, the longer and the larger the arc, the less control you have. So I can hit my driver much farther than I can hit my putter, but I can hit my putter much straighter than my driver. And then the other clubs Mm -hmm. fall into that. If you start thinking about the golf swing as more of an arc, and you start learning to turn back around your right hip and you turn through around your left hip, that arc is like a swinging door, back and through. And so you start learning that versus thinking about a straight line of a swing plane. And I think that you're going to do a lot better as far as playing golf. Now, if you're going to talk to teaching pros and you can go to, we could line up the, we could bring in the top hundred teachers in, in the in the country and have them all sit in a room and discuss this. You are going to get teachers who talk about planes, but I think mm-hmm. that you're doing, they're doing their their students a disservice because when they're, the student is hitting the ball, they're looking down at that golf ball, they're not going to see a straight line. There's no part of that. When I look down at that golf ball, I don't think about a straight line. There's no way I'm swinging the club around my body. So I think it it makes sense in the teaching circles in in describing things, but I think it does a disservice to the student who's trying to replicate those planes when they're swinging the club, when, when in reality they're swinging on an arc.
0: Yeah,
1: and I think it, it you're well said, and I think, John, what it ultimately ends up doing, and again, it, it's well intended, but again, sometimes the information that we learn as instructors is something for us to better understand certain things, but how we describe it to the students uh, can either do one of two things, can help clarify issues like what we talked about earlier with Clubface, uh, control or can add to the confusion. I think this is one of those areas I agree with you. I think, uh, and again, I, I understand what they're trying to get across and, and I understand about the swing plane as well, but I think that it's not something that necessarily has to get into a great discussion about with a student. Um, and, you know, you might get a student that might ask you something, but I think it, 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 it causes them to really not understand what's actually happening in the golf swing. And So we have to be mindful of that and careful when we're talking about that. Certainly as a point of reference, it's okay. But I think if you get too much on, on, no pun intended, on-plane discussion, then I think it can sometimes add to the confusion. Um, Another area that we want to make sure of is pivot. So as an example, on the backswing, uh, you know, you're really trying to get behind behind the ball on your backswing, um, and it really affects... Uh, obviously, all of your body, but primarily the, the upper body. Your lower body uh, tends to remain a little bit quiet. There's obviously a turn, but not as much as your, your upper body. Uh, on the downswing, the opposite happens. You're engaging your legs, hips, and that sort of thing to create a, a better impact and finish position, uh, obviously. Um, but again, there's a misunderstanding with the with the phrase pivot um, because, as you pointed out earlier, um, years ago, we used to see more of a slide into uh, the downswing uh, because of the way the game was played at that particular time and lots changed. So touch on pivot. What, what is it that people are not understanding? Maybe you can go, I know we don't have the, the visual here, so it's a little bit difficult to really demonstrate, but maybe you can talk about pivot as well because there is an actual pivot that happens from the backswing to the
2: downswing. Absolutely. The pivot is, um, you know, there's, I teach basically two types of pivot swings. One is the one pivot swing, which would be for the short game and the two-pivot swing, which will be for the full swing. Um, and so what I mean by that is, is I'm talking about pivot around the hips. So your hips are ball and socket joints. So they're designed to pivot. It's very much like if you look back at the old, back in the 50s and the 60s, and you would look at the field goal kickers in football, they would all kick straight on. They were all straight-line kickers, and they really didn't kick the ball that far. They would kick it pretty straight, but it really didn't go that far. And then soccer started coming into the United States. And then all of a sudden the football players, uh, or the kickers, excuse me, were kicking soccer style. They were pivoting around. If their right leg, if they were kicking with their right leg, they would pivot around their left leg and form like an arc, uh, and it very much the same arc as a golf swing. Well, all of a sudden their distances improved, and they were kicking the ball farther and farther and farther. The same thing is to be be said about the golf swing. Yes, the equipment is better. There's no doubt in my mind the equipment is better now than it was years ago. Yes, the ball is better. But also the players are in better shape, and the players are using their body in that rotary motion by using their ball and socket joint, their hips, to turn back and turn through. Now, in a one-pivot swing in the short game, you're going to set up and you're going to put all your weight in if you're going to hit like a little chip shot. All your weight is going to be in that front front leg, so you're just pivoting around your front leg. You're going to hit a solid shot. You're not going to hit it very far, but you'll be able to control it. In the two-pivot swing, you're, you're set, setting up with your weight more 50-50. You're not putting all the weight in one side or the other. You swing back. You load into your right side very early. The club goes back. As the club goes back, you transition into the left side, and then you pivot around the left side. So that's a sequence that is a very um, difficult sequence to learn. Uh, some students have it naturally. I get students who've never played golf before, and they come to me, and they say, hey, I played baseball when I was a kid or whatever, and they swing the club, and I go, wow, you have a really nice transition. So that's, that's great. Some students don't have it naturally. And those that don't have it naturally, I have drills that I teach them. A lot of them are on my website as well. And I try to get them to learn how to use both their right hip and their left hip to be able to get that pivot and to be able to get that transition so that they can create power. So a one-pivot swing, two-pivot swing is, um, is all based on where your weight is and still using your hips uh, and that lower body to, to swing the club.
1: Yeah, well said, and great explanation. All right, I see. Uh, now we've got uh, Sue joining us. She's uh, been able to to join us now. Um, so, John, I'm going to give you just a, a little good. bit of a break. So, if you want to <laughs> get yourself, yeah, if you want to get yourself, hey, Sue, how are you? Welcome. <laughs> good. Uh, thank and, you. Good. And I've already, I've already, I'd already introduced you uh, at the beginning, anyways, just in case. So, but thank you for for coming in and joining us uh, again. Um, So, John, take just a a minute or two um, if you want to just mute and get yourself uh, uh, something to drink, and and, uh, I'm going to get Sue to to jump in the conversation. So, Sue, let me just bring you up real quick to speed what we've been talking about. Um, Tonight's discussion on the panel has been uh, really some of the essential skills of golf. We've talked about some of the pre-swing fundamentals like the grip and aim and and, uh, posture and so forth. We talked about club face Mm -hmm. control, the importance of uh, being accurate and so forth. Uh, and also uh, wanting to strike as opposed to scooping uh, the golf ball like many do mm-hmm. with, with that. Um, we touched on swing plane, or as John put it, uh, more of a arc, swing arc, if you will, and then you just finished up with pivot. So I'm going to get you on this one here. We've just got a few more, but I'm going to get you to sort of uh, help wrap things up a little bit with, with this part of the discussion, and that is really effortless okay. power, not powerless effort. So really what we're trying to do here is to create sort of a powerful clubhead speed And and, and to do that, we want the club head needs to swing faster than the club end or the handle, uh, much like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. So um, many people sort of want to yank and kill the ball, which obviously makes the handle go faster than the club head. So what are we, first off, what's happening here that's causing um, them to lose power and do that? So uh, again, we want the the feel, the weight of the club head. We're swinging the club head because that's what's hitting the ball. But a lot of people end up swinging the handle with such ferocity, Mm -hmm. I guess is the best way to do it, that they're actually, it's it's essentially throwing them out of sequence. So we want to get more power. Everybody wants to get more distance. So maybe talk a little bit, two things here. What are most people doing wrong that's causing them to create that problem, that scenario where they're swinging the club handle faster than the club head? And what can they do? Are there Mm -hmm. some drills or things that they can do to make sure that they're sequencing properly and getting that that good power?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think the the biggest issue that I see with a lot of players is they don't have disassociation between their upper body and their lower body. And when you have disassociation with your upper body and your lower body, you generate the power and the speed from the ground up through the body. And what I mean by disassociation is, you know, in the backswing, you turn your shoulders, and on the downswing, you turn your hips. But a lot of people don't have that ability. So what I would – I have a um, – like a five minute stretching video that I send to all my players who is on the ground and um, they take a yoga strap if they're not too flexible I that's the first thing I ask him I said do you have a yoga strap and they're like yes or no and and I said that <clears throat> the first thing we do is we isolate the shoulders laying on the ground and we and we move the lower body and what I mean by that is we like we would bring both their knees up to our chest and then pick um, the, and then drop the knees to the right side, drop the knees to the left side. That would be one of them. The other one is I um, teach them how to cross their legs, and um, again stabilize the, the upper body and move the lower body because that that creates disassociation. So there's just a lot of people that don't have what we call disassociation between the upper body and the lower body, so they can't generate any speed. And then what happens is when they go to the driving range or whatever that may be, then, then they're trying to actually swing harder with the body and swing harder with the handle rather than you know at the end of, at the end of the club um, because we want uh, we want that um, disassociation to create that speed and if you look on you know the LPGA or the or the uh, PGA players you'll see them at impact what's what's at impact if you if you froze a, one of the best players in the world's impact, um, looking, at, looking at them, their hips have already gone through the ball and their shoulders and their sternum are behind the ball. And that's what we, we mean by disassociation. So, and that's how you generate speed. But most people don't, number one, they don't, they don't stretch properly. Um, and then they just think that they're supposed to be able to create stuff like from using, you know, using your hands or the handle of the club. And, um, so that's what I teach. I teach a, a lot of golf stretching, um, for, um, disassociation between the upper body and the lower body. Cause that's how you create the speed.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, great points. And just to add to that a little bit and, and, um, you know, what, what I often see too, especially with some of our older players, and it's understandable that we don't have as much you know, unfortunately as we get older, we don't have as much flexibility mm-hmm. as we did when you know, we were in our twenties, and that's why it's important to do some of these different stretching exercises. But I also see mm-hmm. sometimes too, when I'm looking down the range, and I will see players who literally almost lock their lower body because they've been told, Well, if you wanna to create torque, yeah. you wanna to kinda of keep that, that lower body quiet so they're almost locking their, their lower body and then trying to just turn with their upper body. And, you know, you right. get all kinds of problems there. You're casting the club and, and so forth. Um, so you, mm-hmm. you want it really to feel effortless. It's a swing. You're swinging the golf ball, uh, the golf club, excuse me, mm-hmm. into the golf ball and the ball is essentially right. being in place. So when you've got a player like that, is it typically, um a combination of things potentially is it uh, one maybe a lack of flexibility and mm-hmm. you, you've already sort of addressed what we can do with that but what about if you've got a player that has maybe physical injuries that prevents them is there some ways that they can still benefit um if they're not able to naturally get that that sort of uh action uh, the disassociation from the upper and lower body are there things that they can do maybe positioning their feet differently to um, so that they can get more of a mm-hmm. turn, which will help to engage, give us an idea of what can maybe some of the older players that have lost that flexibility do um, through no fault of their own are there other and i don 't want to say tricks, but things that they can do to help alleviate yeah. some of that
3: yeah, like the um, in your stance in order to help you with your hip turn, you know if you 're right handed your left foot is forward, and when I tell everybody that um, that doesn 't have a lot of flexibility. Is toe out your left foot so that you can rotate your hips through. Because a lot of people like you know think that they have to keep their feet you know square to the ball. And actually, when you mm-hmm. you know toe out your left foot, you can actually rotate your hips a lot better. Uh, that's one of the things. Or if you're left-handed, it would be your right. It would be your right foot. But you know, if you toe the you toe toe the target side foot out, then you you have a bunch more. Um, ability to turn your hips through, and that's that 's one of the things and because um, I see too many people like you know trying to stand the toes facing the ball can 't generate any speed because they can 't turn through because they 're so locked up you know with their their um, their toes looking straight at the ball so right. I, just tell, um, I just tell all my players it 's like it's okay to toe out your front your target side foot because you can generate your hip turn. A lot easier because it 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 flows, and I think with um, you know with seniors that's one of the biggest issues they just don't have the mobility um, to you know to create that. But if you if you set up differently, you'll have a little bit more motion forward Mm -hmm. um, toward the you know toward the target with your hips um, turning through because when you um, toe out that you know target side foot you have a much better chance of turning your hips through. So that's what I tell right. a lot of my players.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think even with their back foot, um, certainly not as much because you want you to guard against swaying. But I think even mm-hmm. in the backswing, again, if they don't have a lot of flexibility, um, that back foot could also be towed out a little bit, not as much as the front foot, but a little bit, again, to allow, mm-hmm. uh, again, transitioning yeah. into the back swing to allow a little bit more mm-hmm. mobility with the hips and that as well. And that's a good thing, as long as they don't overdo it, right?
3: Yeah. And, you know, I tell people is you, you can go anywhere from 15, 15 to 20 degrees, and that's about as far as you want to go. You don't want to go 45 degrees because that's too right. far. But, like, f- between 15 to 30 degrees is absolutely fine for both feet.
1: Yeah, I – I for one, I like to do a little bit more. I'm I'm I play right-handed, so I like the you know the front foot. Um, you know, I certainly don't have the same flexibility I once did. I'm not too bad, but uh, you know we all it all happens to all of us. But you know, I like that front foot or the target foot to be a little bit more open for me, anyways. Mm-hmm. And and, and yeah. I think it's <clears throat> I think what I would recommend for people to do, and this is a, a great exercise to do, is certainly do some of the stretching. Uh, as you suggested, but I think for mm-hmm. a lot of players is when you're on the practice area is is to practice and experiment. Find what works for you mm-hmm. because what might work for me doesn't necessarily work for you. So, you know, flare that, those Correct. toes out a little bit uh, or the feet out rather and um, experiment. Mm-hmm. See how much before and, and if it starts to get to a point where it affects the, the actual turn of the golf swing to the point where you're starting to sway or slide too much, um, and you're not pivoting any longer, then obviously you know you've gone too far, so you can ratchet it back a little bit. But, yeah, that's a good, uh, a right. good rule of thumb, and I think yeah. it's a good idea. Uh, I'm going to give you the last one as well, um, I, again, giving John a, a little bit of a break, um, and that is the width in your golf swing. Um, this is something that we mm-hmm. see a lot, too, and what I mean by that, I'm going to explain very briefly, and then I'll let you expand a little bit more. Is What i mean by width is, You know, we've often, you've heard uh, professionals uh, in the teaching side of things saying you want to keep the same distance between your hands at your body when you're at the top of the swing as that you have been uh, with your uh, arms and and that, or hands rather, in the sternum at your setup. And what that Mm -hmm. means is what often happens is when a lot of golfers swing back, again, partially because of a lack of flexibility and strength in their upper body, Mm -hmm. and I don't mean muscle strength, but flexibility strength, is their arms collapse Mm -hmm. because they can't turn enough. So their arms, in order to feel comfortable, start to contract into mm-hmm. their closer to the body. So
0: talk about that. Yeah. How do
1: we help uh, keep that width? Um, I think there's a few different things that we could do here. Give us some examples of what can be done and what we should do to try and help to maintain that
3: width. Yeah, the first thing is, uh, I, you know, I, just, um, I tell people, is, like, put a ball between your, um, both of your arms and... Make a turn and don't let that ball fall out <laughs> because what happens is as soon as you you know they put the ball between their forearms and then they turn and then all of a sudden your arms start to shrink up, that ball is going to fall out of their out of your out of, out of their arms so that's one drill I use because it keeps their lock it keeps their arms extended um, and then i just i I try to teach them in-, re- in regards to adjusting um adding a little bit of shoulder flexibility. And um, what I mean by that is, is taking a club, you know, at, uh, against your chest and making a turn and seeing how far they can actually turn first, you know, do a little bit of evaluation first, and then teach them, okay, if that's all the farther I can turn, keep, still keep your arms, you know, keep your arms extended don't let those arms come toward your chest because well, then, then you know that, you know, that's where you lose, you lose power. And what happens with that is, is if your arms um, fold in, then your arms are going to fold out on a downswing. And that's where everybody loses their power. You have a difficult time explaining to people saying, okay, well, you know, don't bend that left arm or don't bend your right arm you know, depending if you're right-handed or left-handed, but um, I think that's one of the biggest issues is people just don't understand that you have to keep the length the same as as you do at a at dress. And some people can do it and some people can't do it. And I think the the people that can't do it, they don't have the shoulder flexibility or the rotation of the shoulders, and that's why they bring in their they bring their arms in because that's as far as they can go in regards to them making their shoulder turn and I think it's just again flexibility and and um, understanding where your body can and cannot do in, in those terms
1: yeah and I think well well said I, I think also too what we find and again I'm really speaking about some of our our more senior golfers and and that mm-hmm. is uh, again because of a lack of flexibility they're trying to in order to get that extra power they're trying to overturn and ultimately because they don't have the flexibility it's forcing their their arms to come in closer to their body or uh, especially their chest so i think another good suggestion is you know certainly work on the flexibility try to maintain that Um, but maybe shorten the backswing a little bit don't you know don't try to get Mm -hmm. that nice Mm -hmm. you know that john daly swing (laughs) if you're 85 years old Um, maybe shorten that backswing and and, and I guess again, experiment right a- until you to yeah. a point
3: mm-hmm.
1: where your arms are not collapsing anymore, right. and and right. again, sort of you know set yourself a goal to maybe increase it a little bit, but be realistic. And I think it boils down to being realistic with your your physical abilities, um, you know, given your you know your age and so forth. Uh, again, mm-hmm. because we do lose certain flexibility, and and you can do a lot of drills and a lot of things, but it's just a natural. You know, way of things happening as we age, we do lose certain yeah. elasticity in our body. So I think you have mm-hmm. to be mindful of that. So there's there's good adjustments that you can make. Some of the things that you talked about. So I think that's right. You know, just maybe yeah. shorten the backswing a little bit, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it just you know the other thing is you know get fitted with a little bit more. If people are losing the flexibility in their body, go get fitted and and try a little bit softer shaft because. If you don't generate as much speed and you have too much of a stiff shaft, then the ball's not going to go up in the air. it's just gonna you know yeah what I want to say you know fly a little straighter, but it won't go it won't go higher, and as you know, the better trajectory mm-hmm. you have the farther, the farther the ball will go
1: yeah and 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 we see that so often, and you know I think it for for men particularly, it becomes an ego thing as they get older. they say, wow, well, you know, I've been playing this shaft for years. Um, now some yeah. of them are starting to wise up and saying, you know what, I'm going to go to a little more flexible shaft. Um, and, and that's why I think mm-hmm. it's important to have those annual assessments. I'm going to bring John back in here as we get ready to, to wrap up here. John, I'm, I'm assuming you're still with us.
2: Yes, I am, Ted.
1: Okay, good. Um, I just wanted to get some final thoughts from both of you. And I'll, John, I'll, I'll pass the, the baton as it were over to you. But I guess really to summarize some of the things that we've talked about here is, you know, I don't think you have to necessarily work at all of these at one time. I think over the course of your season, you know, obviously you want to work on the first one. I think the fundamentals, that's that's the key to get those really, uh, you know, working well. But I think that the others with you, with each time you go to the range, um, certainly always working on those fundamentals, but then maybe work on some of these other areas that we've talked about a little bit as well. Uh, throughout the process so that over the course of the season, you're going to become a a much better and well-rounded player. So I want to get your final thoughts, uh, John, and then Sue on on what we've been talking about tonight, some of the things. um, And Sue, because I know you came in a little bit later, if you need me to repeat anything as far as some of the things that we talked about, I'm happy to do that. But, John, um, go ahead and and give your final thoughts on on what we've talked about tonight.
2: Well, Ted, the the main thing that I I would – try to encourage all the listeners out there to do is I would encourage you to have a, a beginning of the year assessment with a PGA uh, golf professional taking a lot le- in the form of a lesson. I think it's good. If you're going to take lessons, take the lessons now. Don't wait until the week before the member guests to take your lesson. Um, you need to do it now. If you'll put in the time now between now and say, um, you know, middle of May to do some instruction or, or maybe the end of May to do your instruction. And then from there, just go play. Uh, because most of most, the uh, uh, United States is just now kind of getting into their golf season. Now, if you've been down in Florida or some of the other places, you, you might have been playing year-round. But for those that are just getting started, and, and when you go get the assessment, really ask the pro to really take a look at your setup you know, and, and just focus on that first. If your setup is good, if your pro gives you the thumbs up and the setup's good, then you can start getting into the swing, but don't feel like, um, that, you know, you're going to, that you need to go out and do a lot of complicated stuff, uh, in the lesson starting out, try to make sure to get the setups first. And, and I think if you do that, then you'll, your, your golf swing uh, will kind of fall into place. Uh, so that would be my advice for, for the listeners out there who are, getting their season started, uh, maybe don't have an idea of really a plan of attack of what to do, put it in the hands of your golf professional, your local pro there, and uh, I think that that will help a lot. We also, you know, there's online and stuff. That's something that I can do if you're interested in online instruction. Um, I can do that as well, and I can send you a video and, and, and let you know, you know, if your setup's right and the things that you need to do from there.
1: Yeah, well said. And, Sue, I think some of the other things, I mean, um, John has sort of uh, encapsulated a lot of the things physically to work on the game, and Mm -hmm. I agree with him, as I'm sure you would that a good uh, beginning of the season assessment. I think it's good to be assessed actually throughout the season, but particularly at the beginning of the season. But I think there's some other things, too. I mean, you know, from the physical standpoint, you know, as you were touching on earlier, uh, you know, making sure, and, and, you know, when I say in physical shape, I mean, I'm not saying you have to be a, a weightlifter or something, but... You need to do some things, both mm-hmm. from a physical standpoint and as well nutritionally, to make sure you've got the good energy and stuff. Maybe you can touch on that area a little bit as well, because that's an area that a lot of people miss.
3: Yeah, and I think the nutrition, you know, is a big part of it because, you know, people, um, <laughs> most golfers—I won't, you know, I won't say most golfers, but a lot of golfers think that, um, you know, I don't, I don't need to supplement um, my nutrition. Um, but you know it, golf is an endurance sport you 're playing eighteen holes and you 're playing for four hours so you 'll see you know if you watch if you watch the p g a or the l p g a they 're snacking as they play and you mm-hmm. have you know power drink or a protein bar or something like that, so I think nutritionally you have to be very aware of you know um when you 're playing golf because you know you're playing' you're playing out four four hours um and your body needs you need you need protein you need fluids um, and I think that's one of the one of the things that you know a lot of basic golfers don't really understand that you know nutritionally it's very important to you know keep your body as healthy um, and 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 energetically because and you know you're in when you're when you're playing you are you're burning, you're burning energy, and you're burning calories. And if you don't fulfill some of that back in, you're going to lose energy. And when you lose energy, what do you think you lose? You lose distance. <laughs> mm. And yeah, that's you know that's that's one of the things. And I think um, well, it you know I think just the uh, the other part of it is the big flexibility. Most people just don't work on flexibility enough. Um, and if they if they did then you'd have a better what I what I call disassociation between your upper body and your lower body because you have and that's how you generate more power. But a lot of people they think, well, if I just go to the range and, you know, bang balls, I'll 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 hit it farther. <laughs> well, <laughs> the the body will tell you yes or no, um, you know, on on certain things. And I think that's one of the biggest issues is people just need to be educated about well, okay. How do I create that disassociation, or how do I create that flexibility? And there's a lot of, um, like I said, YouTube videos, and uh, um, and I'm a big fan of yoga because yoga creates stability with a, with the lower body and flexibility with the upper body. So, um, and it, and you had Catherine Roberts what was this week, right? Um, yeah. And she's a yeah, and she's a big uh, yoga for golfer person. I mean, she's the one that created yoga for golf. And I've been through her
0: programs, yep. and it's just it's awesome. So. Yeah, she actually
1: was uh, sorry. It was last. Yeah, it was actually last week that she was on. But you're you're exactly right. And she yeah. also, in addition to doing the yoga for golfers, also does a lot of the same techniques. in that um, she's been working with Chicago Cubs now for ten years, uh, and has worked mm-hmm. with other major league baseball teams as well. So you know if these guys right. are getting into this stuff, that there's something to <laughs> it, and you know they're they're That's obviously right. doing. And I think, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, we, we get people coming to us all the time saying, how can I get more distance? How can I be more consistent? And they're looking mm-hmm. for, you know, guys, they're looking for that sort of Band-Aid, you know, g- give me a tip yeah. or a drill. And and certainly the drills will help in certain areas, but I think the assessments and I think also too, in addition to, assessment on the the golf swing and and some of the the basic fundamentals that we want to see. I think it's also good for them to get a fitness assessment and a, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, many of the pros either themselves or are connected with a certified uh golf fitness professional because there's a difference. Right. Um you want somebody that yes. specializes in the golf swing is to That's get right. assessed by them as well to make sure yeah right to make sure that you uh are, are not losing distance or power or consistency because you're out of shape. And then they yeah. will give you things that, right, that will help you uh, to get back some of that that uh, flexibility. And they'll also guide you, uh, again, with certain things to um, be able to nutritionally eat a little bit better. Because, again, as you pointed out, you know, you're out there for four, four and a half hours, depending on where you're playing. And, you know, I don't care who you are, um, your body naturally needs uh, fuel to, to run. And after a few right. hours, you start to burn through a lot of that. And if you're not replenishing it, um, you know, by the time you get a little past the turn, you know, everybody's on their last mm-hmm. leg and the last five holes or whatever, right. are just, you know, gone downhill. So, um, exactly. no, I think some great points. Yeah. I think some great points by both and, uh, appreciate it. So I'm going to give you guys uh, a minute or so, uh, to let finish our discussion. So I'm going to go uh, again, in the order, uh, John, if you want to let the folks know the best way they can reach out, and I know you might want to uh, mention your, your upcoming, uh, as you get ready to do your second book, if you want, or anything else that you want to plug, and then, Sue, I'll let you go.
2: Well, first of all, Ted, and I want to thank you for having us on the show, and, <laughs> Sue, I enjoyed being on with you as well. Um, my, for the listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is to go on my website. It's deckergolf.com. Um, I'm also available on – you can reach out to me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. I have all kind of of golf videos and stuff on there as well. Um, I'm, like you said earlier, a senior editor with Golf Tips Magazine. So each issue I have articles, um, instructional articles, but also a faith-based article called Fairway to Heaven and do instructional videos for, for Golf Tips Magazine as well. So those videos are located on the Golf Tips Magazine website. Um, my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com. You can go online and order that, the book. Um, I also now have an audio book with it as well, so you can get that on Amazon Audible. Um, I do public speaking engagements, so if you're looking for someone to come speak at, say, a golf outing or a church outing or something along those lines, feel free to reach out to me as well. I'd love to do that. Again, you can go to my website to reach out to me. Uh, if that's what you're interested in. And, uh, yes, I do have a second book. I'm real excited. Uh, it's going to be coming out uh, sometime in 2024. Do not know exactly when yet. And as we get closer to that date, I'll, I'll uh, certainly let you know, Ted, to, to get the word out. But I'm really excited uh, about that and look forward to uh, making an official announcement soon.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Um, and, Sue, go ahead. The best way that folks can reach out, and if there's anything that you'd like to, uh, to plug before we uh, wrap up.
3: Yeah, um, I just want to say thanks. I'm sorry I was a little late. And, um, yeah, I have a best international, number one best-selling um, book. It's called Goth The Last Six Inches. It has to do with the mental side of it. Um, that's on Amazon as well. Or you can um, um, either text me or email me at um, swieger at gmail.com. Um And, um, yeah, I just appreciate you. Everybody listening, and if you have any questions, my phone number is
1: 480-392-6563. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much for, as always, uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. I appreciate uh, your input into tonight's discussion, and I look forward to uh, have you guys join me again uh, the next time you're on the panel. So have a great weekend, both of you, and, again, I appreciate all that you do here on the Coach's Corner panel. Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you.
3: Thank you, you too. Thank you, Ted.
1: All right, that was uh, John Decker and Sue Weir joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. And when we come back from a brief message, I'll be joined by tonight's special guest, uh, the president of the Golf Heritage Society, Dr. Bern Bernacki. We'll be right back.
0: The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as The latest golf instruction from America's top pros Simple to follow practice and gain improvement drills Fitness and mental game tips Equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews Golf destinations and travel tips for every budget And so much more Don't miss a single issue Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today
1: All right, welcome back, and I'm uh, super excited to have tonight's guest. He's been on a number of times, actually, over the last several years, and always enjoy having him each each season. I I feel like I learn something uh, new every time he comes on. Um, So let me just uh, tell you a little bit about him, and then uh, we'll get him on the show. Um, My special guest this evening is Dr. Bern Bernacki, and he is, as I mentioned, the uh, president of the Gulf Heritage Society. He's also a community-based, self-employed family physician for uh, over 35 years, uh, who happens to just love this great game of golf. Uh, and he's actually plays the game in a variety of ways, including with hickory uh, uh, sticks, uh, steel, and uh, modern-era shafts, and, of course, always uh, with a period-appropriate golf ball. Uh, he's also been active in youth development and drug prevention activities. Uh, and he recently had uh, been involved and completed in a leadership role with the First Tee of Pittsburgh. Um, please welcome back to the show my um, very special guest, Dr. Byrne Bernacki. Welcome.
4: Hello Ted, uh thanks for having me.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for for coming back and uh spending some time uh with me. Let me before we start, um let me just say we, we actually got to which is uh very common in this type of format. Uh we don't always get to to meet some some of the folks that uh, have on the show and you and I actually met face to face uh a little earlier this year at the PGA show in Orlando. So we got to meet for the first time and, and have a conversation. Um, so I appreciate that. It was a lot of fun and learned some some interesting things uh, along the way. So um, first off, maybe you could just uh, touch on a little bit about the Golf Heritage Society so that people understand what it is and sort of how it came about.
4: Sure. Well, Ted, we, we love to get together uh, and have fun uh, talking about all aspects of the game of golf. Our formal mission statement: We seek to promote uh, appreciation for the history and the traditions of golf. We foster friendship among uh, all of our golf enthusiasts, and, and we're we are worldwide, uh, mostly U.S., but we have friends all over the world, uh, including golf uh, golfers, of course, uh, writers, historians, and collectors. That's our core of our group as uh, collectors of the games, artifacts, and memorabilia. That was our uh, beginning, and we still maintain that core culture.
1: Yeah, and and what was interesting about it, and I'm going to talk about um, the membership specifically. We're going to get into some of that as well. Um, But you you, you raised a, a great point in explaining that it's not just about, you know, remembering the game as it was once played. But the Gulf Heritage Society is, is also an organization that brings um, collectors um, and, and even artists together and allows them not only to showcase some of the collectibles and obviously artwork mm-hmm. through a variety of different uh, mediums, but um, gets them an opportunity to, through this membership, to get acquainted and and network and meet uh, and that sort of thing through a variety of different events, and we'll talk about some of those uh, a little bit, but So it's really not just about remembering uh, the heritage of the game, but actually um, sharing some of the memorabilia and and so forth uh, throughout the membership. Correct?
4: Oh yeah, when we get together and play uh, a game of golf, uh, we we could be playing like today. Uh, I played; uh, just came off the course in Pittsburgh. It was a gorgeous. Day at edgewood country club we're celebrating our 125th anniversary we're very excited about that but i chose to play modern golf with some guys and we talked all about the modern um, era and the young players and the number one and all those kinds of things but when we get together sometimes we'll dress in period and play hickory golf both um you know bobby jones hickory golf and the Uh, you know, 20s and 30s era and dress in appropriate uh, uh, period dress and appropriate golf ball. And, you know, sometimes we'll play pre-1900 golf. And uh, we've played uh, pre-1900 golf with a gutty ball, solid ball. uh, It's a heavier club. Those are blacksmith-made-one-at-a-time clubs. And uh, that was before mass manufacturing. It's a different game. It's fun like crazy. And you know there's no knickers in that. There's no golf bags right. in that. When are you in your clubs under your arm? So yeah, all these things are great fun when we get together for play.
1: And, so, and you, you know you shared and, Go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought.
4: Well when we when we get together uh, in a trade show um, you know we come together uh sometimes associated with an outing um, but people will set up some tables and bring some uh collectibles and it's great fun to uh swap and sell and and purchase things that might be uh something you're interested in and that could be that could range from uh equipment um balls clubs bags teas, you name it to also um ephemera. Uh, ceramics, artwork, all these kinds of things that uh, certain folks uh, are more or less um, dedicated to and know a whole lot about so when they're when they 're talking, um, they can really bring the history of an artifact uh, uh, to life and therefore bring the history of the game to life it 's great fun to just sometimes sit and listen to two people conversing about uh, um, even a, a piece of art or a Um, uh, a sculpture or that sort of thing. It's really, really entertaining and informative and educational for us.
1: Yeah, and and it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people don't really understand the sort of earlier beginnings of the game. And, you know, this is something that you guys talk about a lot, Uh, you know, not just the the more modern game, as you you mentioned today, uh, but you also look back at some of the earlier times um whether it be Bobby Jones or even earlier times uh about how the game was played and how different it was there's a lot involved in the membership of, of and I'm going to call it the GHS for short um but uh I uh, as as you know you uh, extended the invitation to to join uh the Golf Heritage Society uh when we were at the show and I I've, I've done that and uh very excited so I thought what we would do is is sort of give a little bit of a breakdown uh, about the membership is and and some of the, I guess what that entails and can anybody join?
4: Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a great idea, Ted. Well, first of all, welcome as a member of the Golf Heritage Society. We are the mm-hmm. best deal, uh, best value in the game of golf. For fifty dollar yearly membership, um, mm-hmm. our our member benefits are uh, becoming stronger and stronger. So the you know, I like to say that the greatest asset is the knowledge base and possessions um, of the society. These folks have, have possessions, uh, antiques, and um, um, very um, interesting pieces, and they can tell you all about them. So uh, the variety of people in the society and all these backgrounds that I mentioned earlier uh, is one thing, uh, and that's terrific um so we really uh, enjoy uh, uh the um, the depth of knowledge base in a lot of areas around the game of golf you talk about um events boy there are people who are Ryder Cup um, uh, aficionados with collectibles we just finished a uh, a zoom call so i'll talk about that as a member benefit we get oh probably four to six times a year, a a golf notable, to do a Zoom call with us, and it's live for our members. And we uh, have a host who sets up with that guest a number of questions, and they tell us a little bit about uh, a topic, and then we start asking questions, and it's usually open to the members uh, to also send in questions to the host And uh, we just have a great time. We have had uh, so many unique individuals. Bobby Jones IV, authors of uh, famous golf books, um, and uh, Linda Harto, the famous golf Mm -hmm. artist, uh, and Shirley Spork. Uh, A lot of your uh, audience doesn't know about Shirley. Uh, She passed Mm -hmm. away about six months ago. She was one of the uh, founders of the LPGA. And she was one of the best amazing interviews ever because she taught us about Mm -hmm. uh, golf history as well as American history, uh, playing golf in the 30s and 40s and traveling and all these kinds of things. So our Zoom, uh, we call it the Grand Zoom Series, that's a a member benefit that I think is uh, knock your socks off. And guess what? we keep them, we um, archive them on our website, which is golfheritage.org, and our members can go back and uh, look at all, listen to all those and uh, enjoy all of those. So I can keep going, if I may. Uh, yep, journal yep, go uh, Golf, yeah, uh, that is an uh, absolute gem. Um, I was just uh, looking over the latest issue, and we uh routinely have a uh golf artist um, um, give one of their um, uh favorites and put it on our our front page and boy we've we've highlighted a lot of uh artists that way and our content uh are both uh, modern uh comments on the modern game and we go back and talk about collectibles the auction the world of auctions and what's hot and why and who paid what, you know, and uh, uh, the members have a lot of knowledge about uh, collectibles, and part of the value of being a member is being connected to people uh, uh, that have this, this knowledge base. So it's kind of cool. If you're interested in getting involved in uh, one aspect of uh, collecting or making a significant purchase of a a golf thing. Having somebody to, um, you know, uh, uh, advise you or interact with is uh, a very nice benefit to have. So, you know, the journal connects us. The website connects us. Our journal is 52 years old, and we've archived all of them. So that's really a wonderful um, benefit. For people who want to do research, people can go online and do a lot of research, but uh, when you have uh, writers dedicated uh, to, say, the Ryder Cup and you're writing about or researching Ryder Cup history, by the way, this is a Ryder Cup year, uh, it'll be great mm-hmm. fun for members to go and uh, uh, look up and research uh, players from all those years back. It'll be great fun. So, yeah, no, and
1: there's so like much that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so much information and you know, I'm excited and thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the, uh, the Gulf Heritage Society uh, as a member and I'm looking forward to um, partaking in many of the resources available. I, I want to also give you an opportunity just to talk about a few. We're, we're going to talk about obviously um, the annual uh, GHS National Convention that's coming up a little bit later this year. I'll give you a chance to talk a bit about that. But first, I want to talk about some of the um, GHS sponsored events. Um, some of the uh, uh, golf challenges and so forth that are throughout the year, Uh, obviously your National Hickory Championship, that sort of thing, Um, some of the events coming up when they're taking place, um, if you just want to sort of expand a bit on on some of those.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do that. And, uh, you know, we're pretty excited in May. uh, We'll be on a Donald Ross gem up in Erie, uh, Pennsylvania, um, called Coquah. And uh, it's a wonderful golf course. I was up there a couple years ago. And one of Arnold Palmer's uh, uh, closest friends uh, is a member there and is uh, uh, hosting us, Jim Rutkowski. And I have a a very, when when I I visited there uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, I just have a, um, a fond memory of spending some time with uh, Jim Rutkowski Sr., we call him senior and junior. His son, uh, Sr., is um, uh, close to 90, um, and mm-hmm. he has a Arnold Palmer collection as part of his business office in Erie that is a very special invitation. So the members uh, that uh, are signed up to play golf at Coqua um, will have lunch uh, there at the club, uh, it's a old Donald Ross golf course. It's beautiful. It plays well. Um, I think some of the folks will play modern. Some of the folks will play Hickory and some of the folks mm-hmm. may choose to play, um, uh, classic golf uh, clubs with, uh, uh, steel shafts and persimmons. Um, just in the uh, era of Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas mm-hmm. and Gary player, because, um, this golf course has seen it all. So, uh, uh they'll have a real nice opportunity when they go up to Erie. Um, So there are other um, uh, regional uh, gatherings, and I don't have a listing, but we try to get our uh, regional directors to uh, put up a uh, uh, gatherings list uh, and uh, communicate that within the region. And nationally, in case you're traveling and happen to be, our board members, uh, Taylor Dale, uh, she will be in Arizona uh, representing us at um, the uh, T uh, commemorating um, Marilyn uh, uh, Smith's uh, LPCA mm-hmm. career and uh, as a fundraiser. So, you know, we, we try to participate and um, uh, encourage um, support of the history and traditions of the game um i will play uh in august i have two events in august um i will be in uh foxburg for a gutty championship uh the uh national hickory championship that's a pre 1900 uh um event that'll be uh, at the very famous uh 1887 uh oldest golf course in america continuing exist- uh, continuing play Foxburg—that's uh, a must. If you get a chance to be in um, 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 northwest Pennsylvania, uh, you get up there and, and um, visit Foxburg and see the uh, the wonderful museum uh, of artifacts. Uh, it's several rooms of wonderful collectibles there. Uh, and I'll play. I'll be um, visiting with the African American Golf Exposition and Forum. Uh, that'll be in. Um, Um, Louisville in late August, uh, and they have an event as well. So I I think I'll play uh, probably classic clubs on that golf course. So, um, yeah, there's so many uh, things that we do uh, with our own sponsored events and supporting other organizations who are advancing the history and traditions of the game as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to give you a few minutes to talk about that is because there are so many great, you know, it's not just the GHS-sponsored events, but you're also giving uh, a voice to other events as well, again, that are um, sort of respecting and, and uh, you know, continuing to uh, expand on the history of the game. And I think that's great for the organization to do that. Um, and, and, you know, there's many, many other things listed. I'm looking actually on your events page. That's why I brought a few of them up. Um, as you mentioned, the National Hickory Championships coming up uh, in, in a few months and uh, and and uh, others uh, along the way. And uh, you've got in September the U.S. Hickory Open, uh, which is going to be in Inwood, New York, at the Inwood Country Club on uh, September 10th and 12th. So you've got a lot of great events. Many others I haven't mentioned because we don't have enough time to do them all. But, um, but I wanted to give you a chance just to mention a, a few of them. But, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
4: No, no, it's just so many uh, opportunities. Yeah, I'm, I, I bet it doesn't show up there, but there's sort of a smaller one. We're co-hosting uh, with some guys up in New England uh, in New Hampshire. So all of you who are listening uh, up in uh, New England uh, or have friends there, uh, have them give us a call and hook up for that. We'll be at Lake Sunapee, And across the, the road from the entrance there, the farm of the squire, Gene Sarazen. So there's a very heavy representation of collectibles uh, representing Gene Sarazin uh, in his era, and I can't wait to get back up there in July.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, yep. you know, as I said, there's so many great things going on. I mean, there's literally thousands of things going on in the golf industry every year, and it's hard to really keep track of everything. Um, but you guys do a great job in, in presenting uh, many of the things that you do um, on on your website and that and talk about uh, as I said, not just the history of the game but uh, provide an opportunity for people both that are collectors and those that are maybe interested in collecting uh, and you provide a lot of great resources in that as well, uh, as well as uh, uh, again as sort of a summarizing some of the events. One of the events that I yeah. want to talk to you ab- about is as I sort of teased earlier, is the national uh, convention, which takes place in October 11th to 14th, and that's being held at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. Tell us about what goes on there for people that uh, uh, are not familiar with it. You have a national uh, convention that goes on. So, what? How? You know, it's a few days. What? What goes on at the convention?
4: Well, you know that this is. Uh, I'm going to title this uh, this piece of the, of this segment uh, the anatomy of a convention. Uh, for us, um, you know, as I said, the fellowship uh, is so important. And we have people who are old friends, have played golf together, they've collected, they've advised. They have mentored the younger uh, members. So just being together and seeing each other and welcoming new people and helping them along uh, in their interests, whether it's uh, play with period equipment or um, starting to acquire uh, uh, equipment uh, or just start to appreciate uh, so many collectibles that are fun Uh, and uh, stimulating, uh, just getting together. So we do this thing. We have a hotel, and we always make sure that they're okay with this. Um, And when you set up in your room, you bring a lot of stuff with you, a lot of collectibles, because two days later, three days later, we have a giant trade show, probably one of the uh, biggest uh, collections of golfables annually in the world. And we put all those things out at our trade show day. But before we do that, um, everybody has those things in their rooms, and there's a list of rooms, who's where, um, so you can find right. people you want to see. You can go from room to room and see amazing collectibles and just learn from uh, the uh, member in the room, introducing yourself. and. Um, you know, getting to know what they collect or what they're expert in. uh, And and it's so much fun to do that. And that goes on for uh, the whole time, you know, the whole time that we're uh, there. Uh, And, of course, we have a formal program, and we will highlight, Uh, golf in uh, Kentucky. And I don't know if uh, many of your audience know this, but there are two notables that we're going to highlight. Um, A woman named Beverly Bell uh, wrote a book, The Murder of Marion Miley. And Marion Miley was an amateur, then turned uh, golf professional. And she was an up-and-coming star. And uh, there was a Uh, just a tragedy that she and her Mm. mother were golf course and uh, suffered a very, uh, very uh, crazy, untimely death. The book is about that, uh, and we will tell that story and uh, get more into detail. Um, I don't know if your members know that Gabe Brewer, a PGA Mm -hmm. professional in the Palmer era, he was uh, a Lexington native. And, of course, uh, he won a master's, uh, and it was in uh, 1967, if I'm correct. And uh, we will have a lot uh, of master's collectibles there uh, and Gay Brewer master's collectibles. And his caddy, a fellow named Bob Boring, B-O-R-I-N-G, Bob contacted us and said, I'd like to be there and participate. And he he impressed us so much with his knowledge of uh, Gabe Brewer's career. We asked him to be our keynote speaker. Uh, So Bob's going to be there in a capacity both sharing uh, some of his collectibles, selling some of his collectibles uh, that have Gabe Brewer and Masters uh, um, attractiveness. Uh, So that will be great fun. Uh, And and our program will also highlight, we choose a, a topic every year, uh, and our our topic uh this year will be uh the history and evolution of the driver, and I'm oh. guessing we're gonna from long nose right through titanium and uh incredible uh components of the shaft and the uh and the club head so it'll be
1: amazing and that, yeah, that's a long history too um for sure. So- That'd be uh, definitely a very interesting uh, and, and certainly lengthy uh, discussion there. You know, it, it's interesting because, and and I want to get you just to touch on this. You're, you're welcome to to share you know a story or two about this. Um, but I remember the first time that you came on, and and you're welcome to share that one or or a different one if you want. But you you talked about um, sort of having a discussion with a group of youngsters, um, and I'm not I don't recall off the top of my head if it was with some of the ones through the first team uh, program or not, but, you know, sort of explaining to them a little bit and introducing them to the history of the game and, and some of the earlier equipment. And, you know, certainly a number of, of folks, uh, young folks that attended um, that particular uh, get-together were kind of in awe-struck, really, of not really understanding and, and And I imagine you get that a lot because it is. I mean, you know, and and by today's standards, you look at the kids today, you know, you dial things back 50 years. They didn't see a lot of this stuff even outside of the golf industry. So um, if you want to share a story to you, I think that's very interesting that just to put things in perspective, how obviously we know how things have changed. But give us some of the feedback on when you're introducing some of these things and in discussion, especially with some of the younger folks. What has been some of the response?
4: Yeah, Ted. I remember the conversation when we were uh, together in Orlando. Uh, we were we were talking about um, uh, the the Golf Heritage Society coming together with the First Tee of Pittsburgh, and um, you know, I, I really love to do things that. Uh, give young people positive uh, um, opportunities. And, you know, golf is a fabulous game for that. The history of the game is another uh, aspect, you know, when the weather's bad and when you just have time to, to appreciate the game in a different way. Well, um, you know, I I have my series of collectibles and I think it's kind of fun. Uh, We wanted to do something to enhance uh, our first tee program and uh, the, uh, then executive director, my dear friend, Mark Field, was like, ah, I, don't, I don't know that the kids are going to be uh, interested in this. And why don't you take 10 minutes near the end of the program? And I said, sure, that's great. So uh, he agreed. So I dressed up. I showed up in period uh, with uh, knickers and such, and I set up a table with all these golf clubs and a few other collectibles um, and set it on a table so that when the kids walked in, the participants walked right by these things, and you know they went through their um, uh, their program of the day, and they were sort of excited to get to the end because they wanted to hear about this stuff. So I had my 10 minutes, and I took my 10 minutes, and I started answering questions. so they uh, you know, I showed them um, a, uh, a a gutty ball in process, a chunk of Malaysian rubber, threw it out there to the audience, and then one that was pressed in a press that had a rim on it and looked like the planet Saturn, and another one that was trimmed but not painted, and I just threw it out, boom, 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 and the guys that caught him and the gals that caught him, I said, come on up here, and I asked them, well, what is this, and what is this about, and it took them about 30 seconds to say, well, obviously, this is a golf ball, is this how it started, how is this made, and one question led to another and about an hour and ten minutes later they had one more <laughs> question. Can we play with some of this stuff? And I said, wow. looked at Mr. Field and said, Uh, gee, do you think we could set up a uh little um uh put- putting and pitching uh opportunity for the young people? And he said, Of course, and uh two weeks later we did that. And at the end of that They had so much fun. They looked up and said, hey, do you think we could get some other clubs and go out and play a few holes with this kind of equipment? And we said, of course you can. So we sent them out in um, uh, three loops of uh, uh, three and said, play a scramble, hit that best ball, and go chase it down. And we let them play three holes. Every time I do an event like that, I make them do an application, and they have to tell me, who they are and why they want to do it, what they expect to gain from it. And then mm-hmm. when they come in, you clean your clubs, you bundle your clubs and we put them away and you f- get a cool drink and you flip over the, uh, the application and on the back is why did I do this? What did I learn? And uh, what would make it better next time? A typical first tee, good, better, how? what was good, what would be better? And how would that be accomplished? I have, a lot of those that I kept. And we have kids wow. that went on to be in the Naval Academy, the Army Academy, um, uh, you know, contestants to try to come on to the tour who are out there right now. Uh, and, uh, we laugh and we laughed when we bumped into them because I asked them about that first experience and they remember it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was the story you were referring to.
1: Right. I, exactly what I was referring to. You know, what, what's interesting, and I just want to go back, for a second to something you had mentioned about early, you know, you talked about Shirley Spork and and you mentioned uh, Marilyn Smith as well, who of course were uh, two of the 13 original founders of the LPGA. And, you know, um, my co-host on the other program, which I know you've been on, the Women of Golf, which airs Tuesday mornings, you know, we we talked this weekend with Debbie Waitkiss, who was a very close confidant of Marilyn Smith. And we talked about really uh, about how, Maryland's legacy and the reason why I'm bringing this up because it goes to what you were just talking about is really helping other generations understand not just who these women were and and what happened but also about the game and I think when they have an appreciation and an understanding of how, how the game got started, they actually have an overall appreciation of the game of golf because really the only exposure most people have is what they see on television. The, the, you know, the LPJ and the, the PJ event. So unless they're sure. raised in, in, right? And so are, do you find that as well, uh, Bern, when, when you're dealing with especially some of these youngsters particularly, or somebody that's maybe not had a lot of early exposure in their life to the game, that once they kind of get a taste of what the Golf Heritage Society does, kind of step back and say, wow, I didn't know that, or I didn't really understand that. Maybe, maybe you could share another story with us uh, along that line.
4: It's really really true. Um, and, you know, you asked the question I only partially answered earlier, and it's who's welcome uh, in the Golf Heritage Society? What's everybody? Um, because we're reaching out to women to let them know that we want to tell the story of, of American women's golf. And, you mm-hmm. know, the African American community has a robust mm-hmm. history of its own because they were excluded yep. from uh PTA participation for many many years and yep. uh, the members that we have that tell their own stories uh Richie Harris from Philadelphia and Gene Bolden from Michigan uh you could mm-hmm. sit for hours and listen to a history of how things uh how things were back then Um, And Mm -hmm. feel a little bit bad uh, for that, but also a little bit good that you now have an appreciation uh, for, um, you know, uh, the full history of the game of golf. So, yes, we welcome um, young people, um, you know, young golfers, people who have been at it a while, senior golfers, men, women, people of all colors and backgrounds uh, to come Mm -hmm. in and understand. Uh, how wonderful and robust and um, magnificent the uh, the tournament industry and the players, those people um, and and where they came from and what motivated them. It is just amazing, you know so it's just a fun opportunity to go where you go uh, in your pursuit of uh, pleasure and understanding and enjoyment of the game of golf.
1: And I think well said. And I think it also helps to clarify, you know, certainly a lot of misunderstandings of the game. You know, the game is really for everybody, um, and you know, uh, you know, certainly most of us will never, uh, you know, uh, no matter how hard we t- try, may never get to the level of, you know, a Marilyn Smith or Shirley or Tiger Woods or or what have you. Um, but we're certainly going to give it our our darndest try along the way. But, you know, I've always equated, you know, when I've I've been teaching now for for over 30 years, and um, this is actually my 31st year, and what's always interesting is I always equate golf to life because there are so many similarities and crossovers on how we, our day-to-day life situations and how and what we can learn on the golf course that can help us and vice versa. And so it's always interesting. So I always say to people, it doesn't matter what your background is or where you're from, um, you may never make it out on a professional level on tour. Um, Certainly try if if that's something that's a desire in your heart. But there are so many great rewards to this game, the camaraderie, just the the people that you meet. And the number one thing that I've asked, just going back to something you said about women really introducing and and trying to expand that area uh, even more, And one of the number one things that I've heard, particularly from women, is the social aspect of golf is one of the things that really attracted them. It's not just so much getting out there hitting the ball and sinking the putts; It's the social interaction that they have enjoyed uh, while they've gone out and and made friends uh, on the golf course. So there's a lot of things, I think, that can encompass, but it's a matter of, of educating people. And I think you guys do very well in and getting that, that that conversation going. Would I be accurate in my assessment?
4: You know, you're, you're spot on, uh, Ted. And, uh, you know, one of the first uh, formal Hickory events we invited the young people to, and we told them, you know, and the parents were supporting them to go out and find you know um uh appropriate uh flat hats and different things and i have this picture and in that picture is uh some young people that have become uh really lifelong friends and one of the gals um uh thought she was um um I had the talent to uh uh advance in the game and uh spend her last year of high school in florida and then went out west to join the uh the junior women's tour and you know it didn't work out for her golf uh professional play but her experiences have uh allowed her to advance her career in um uh real estate so she's in the San Francisco mm-hmm. area and uh right. you know she's working Olympic uh, uh Olympia club there and uh playing a lot of golf and um you know having uh, having a, a good career so i want to tell a story if i may um you one of can. our had one of our first tea gatherings uh that week that I told you about the application and the kids go out well um we sent them out and one of the guys had uh uh physical limitations that we really didn't know so much about whole number for 1 Kenley Park in Pittsburgh 1897 some uni, um there's a whole story behind it. but you know, they get down number one and they come up number two. Number two is a little um, bit of a trick to it because you come up back up. It's not a steep hill, but then you have to turn right and dog leg and hit over a road. Um, and, you know, people say, well, why did they design the golf course like that to have to hit over a road? Well, 19, 1897, there were not automobiles. There were horses. Right. So the the road came later. Anyway, this one young fellow, uh, his name is Woody. Woody walked down, played number one, and on the way up number two says, I really can't do this. So he quietly withdrew and went over to the side. And um, we only found out, oh, about an hour or so later, that Woody decided to participate in a different way. He photographed all of his friends having fun playing hickory golf and their their smiles, their laughs, their shots, et cetera, and he had a fabulous time observing and recording their fabulous time and Then he had a project at school, and he decided that he was going to choose old golf as the topic, and he did some research and discovered some old golf courses uh, in America, one that uh, was where he had been playing, Shenley Park. And, but he also went back to England, and he reached out to the oldest club, Blackheath. Um, and the Blackheath folks um, sent him materials and became Woody's friend. And his um, paper, his, his project at school, obviously was a resounding success. But the point of the story is that Woody didn't enjoy the game by playing it um, beyond the first hole. Woody enjoyed the game by interacting with his friends, photography of the game of golf, research of the game of golf, and diving deep into the beginnings of the game of golf. Isn't that
1: amazing? yeah and and you know it it's really a testament to the game itself. There is really no other game um, you know out there the same way, uh, and I think part of the reason is the longevity of the game number one uh, it's a game that really you can you can play well into your your later uh years in life, uh, unlike many other uh, games or sports out there. Um, but also, as I mentioned earlier it 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 mimics life in in, in so many ways. And, you know, what you were saying a few minutes ago about, you know, being able to participate, um, even at, at, at a different level, um, you know, where, where somebody maybe doesn't have the physical skills to, uh, you know, to, to win the masters or what have you, uh, they just want to be a part of it and they want to benefit from the many opportunities that it presents, um, whether it's working at a golf course or whether it's just being part of another social group that goes out and has fun. And, and I remember, and I'll, I'll be very brief because I don't want to, uh, you know, take up too much of the time. But, um, you know, I had a guest on many years ago, not too many years ago, but a few years ago. And, uh, she worked in a professional level at a bank. And she talked about how, you know, she would come in on the, on the Monday or what have you and be around the typical, you know, water cooler chats. And she would hear all of the, the men talking about their golf games on the weekend, and she felt very kind of left out because she didn't play. And finally she approached one, and I'm going to give you the short version, and, you know, struck up a conversation. He basically guided her and said, here's what I would recommend, and and he pointed her in the right direction. And, uh, you know, fast forward, she's now bringing women's groups together to have that same experience, and it helped her professionally as well because she was able to, you know, with some lessons and things, of course, um, but she was able to incorporate that into her her business life, uh, which she never really thought of, right, until she met, you know, and spoke to these, these gentlemen uh, and the one in particular. And so it creates so many opportunities that people never think of. They just, And that goes to what I said earlier, is most people's exposure is what they see on TV at the tour level. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising. A lot of people say, well, hey, I can't do that. Um, but they don't realize that there's so much more. And that's one of the things that I'm excited about being a new member to the Gulf Heritage Society is to learn more about the ways that you're expanding the game uh, through the various different channels and networks that you're you're doing. So I just wanted to share that with you because it kind of goes along with what you've been talking about and some of the, the mm-hmm. stories that you've shared. But um, No,
4: it's great, Ted. It, it sort of uh, takes a step toward uh, the area of collectibles and you know um with the kids i, I think there was a uh, um a, a realistic um concern that, well what is burn doing is he trying to make these kids uh, uh consumers and you know uh, of of golf collectibles not at all um um exposing them to the artifacts of the game the balls clubs and equipment yeah it's kind of fun um, um but there are other collectibles um that people do as entry level uh, and it's young people but it's also uh, every age, um, you know, who doesn't have some sentimental value uh, collectibles, you know it's that scorecard, the first time you broke a hundred or the the time that you played uh, with your parents as a kid Uh, pencils from that US Open venue had the opportunity to play uh, and it goes on and on and on Uh, so our application um shows uh collecting interests uh because as i said earlier that is our core that was our uh origin and you know people collect books and then well what kind of golf books is it architecture is it biographies um there's so many different subgroups and that's where Having a friend, a mentor, an advisor to you ask someone, well, who does this? who knows about this or that?" and you know we have those people and um, connecting um, our members uh, to uh, help uh, a member. Uh, uh, go in the right direction for research or collectibles and pursuing these things, that is a major value uh, for your $50 a year membership. Like I said, it's the best value in the game of golf. So, you know, it's, it's, there's so many um, uh, beautiful um, entrees uh, with uh, golf, as you said, that woman uh, getting together in fellowship with uh, other folks. And then, you know, the, the collectibles lead to uh, friendships and mentorships and lifelong friendships. It's just, that's why at the convention, it'll be such a blast to see people you haven't seen for a year or even two, and especially around COVID, everybody's, you know, right. coming out of the woodwork to get together again. So.
1: Yeah, I, I think, yeah. And, it, and that was one of the reasons I enjoyed, um, for a multitude of reasons, but one of the reasons I enjoyed um, uh, coming back to the uh, the PGA show in, in Orlando this year. Uh, I hadn't been back since prior to, to COVID and um, for that same reason, it was, you know, a lot of challenges and whatnot, but, um, and, and, and yeah, there's so many great things that, that are offered through the uh, Gulf Heritage Society. Um, again, whether it's the collectibles, whether it's the artwork uh, or just the, the um, networking opportunities that, that uh, can get presented. And, and as you said, for, for fifty dollars, it's the best uh, deal in town. Um, that's less than most uh, golf courses charge you for for a round of golf, and you get access to uh, really uh, a history of the game and and so many other great uh, uh, avenues as well, and um, and uh, you know get to appreciate that through that. So I'm I'm very very excited to uh, to be part of that, and I look forward to uh, navigating around and and looking at some of the archives and things that that you mentioned earlier and and uh, and, uh, and and know learning more myself but um as we get ready to to wrap up here in the last few minutes what uh, what would you like to leave for the audience as sort of a some closing thought Heritage society that maybe um you haven't shared so far or um you know you want to sort of leave um uh, some final thoughts with them
4: well i want to repeat the uh, website address uh dot o-r-g um um Folks who take a look and decide to uh, become a member, we'll see that there's a variety of of ways that you can enjoy the game. Um, A person can join online or they can request a written uh, uh, application and send it in. And we don't have sponsorships that you need to be approved. Uh, We're welcoming. Uh, young and old as i said and uh men women um you know uh people from everywhere all backgrounds so we um delight in appreciating the history and the traditions of the game getting together having fun together uh learning from each other teaching uh each other and sharing opportunities uh, to expand collections uh and mentor those who are kind of just starting out so golfheritage.org is a good way to start um you can find um, uh, some phone numbers to call uh, regional directors myself uh, and our uh, uh, world headquarters in pittsburgh because it's my medical office and we have space to house our stuff Um, so you know um, these are um, the opportunities out there Uh, come to lexington Uh, In October, Uh, it's uh, our Hall of Fame induction uh, banquet will be uh, October 13. Uh, The 14th will be our giant trade show. And um, we're uh, uh, delighted to invite the public free to the trade show. Um, and I'm sure that the public is welcome to uh, come to the hotel and meet individuals and uh, start to learn about uh, all the different aspects that represent uh, the beauty and uh, mystique of the old game of golf. So there you have it, Ted. Uh,
1: well said. And again, the website is gulfher- uh, uh, dot org O-R-G. And uh, the national convention that uh, uh, Byrne was just talking about is uh, taking place October 11th to the 14th at the Embassy Suite Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. So if you're going to be up around that way or you want to head out that way, you can learn a lot about uh, what we talked about and more um, up there at the uh, convention and get a chance to uh, see firsthand exactly what we're talking about. Well, Dr. Byrne, I want to thank you very much for joining me once again. It's always a pleasure. And as I said, I always learn something new every time you come on the show. So I'm going to have to keep coming, having you come back um, again on, on future shows. But um, much continued success in, uh, in helping to spread uh, uh, the heritage of this great game. And I look forward to learning more myself as I uh, surf around and, and uh, partake in some of the, uh, the resources that are available. at The website, again, is O R G. Um, But thank you very much for joining me tonight uh, once again on Golf Talk Live.
4: Ted, Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you and your audience. And, uh, again, we welcome uh, you to the uh, organization and the society and uh, everybody who's out there. So uh, come one, come all.
1: Thanks, Ted. All right. You have a great evening great weekend. All right. Thanks. All right. That was the president of the Golf Heritage Society, Dr. Bern Bernacki joining me once again. And um, I, again, if you go to uh, golfheritage.org is the website, you can join there. It's uh, As I did, it's just $50 a year, uh, less than what you would play at most golf courses, uh, just one time. So and, but you can get a wealth of information. Uh, also, they post a lot of events. There's a lot of different uh, uh, tournaments in that that uh, both they sponsor and are involved with and others as well in, in certain regions uh so maybe you might want to participate uh, or get involved in that so there's lots of good information on there and if you're somebody that's interested in some of the collectibles as as he was talking about um you might want to step uh, up to the uh, uh again if you're going to be in the area go to the uh national convention and uh i believe he said on the 13th uh they were going to have a a, a trade show and and have an opportunity to see some of the collectibles and and uh, all kinds of things there so again go to golfheritage.org all right Thanks again uh, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live, and thanks to uh, both panelists, John Decker and Sue Wieger, uh, earlier on Coach's Corner Panel. Thanks, guys, for always doing a great job. And uh, on that note, I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner Panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.